بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله نحمده ونستعين به ونستغفره ونستهديه ونعوذ بالله تعالى من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وأسوتنا وقائدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه أجمعين وعلى كل من تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما سبحانك اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم وبعد respected brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته First of all, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be here in your midst this evening. I would like to thank Darussalam Foundation. This is my first time here. Well, not in Chicago. I've come twice before. This is my third time. <clears throat> but here at the Darussalam Foundation, it's my first time. I'm, mashallah, very uh, pleasantly surprised, a very auspicious place beauty internally, externally, mashallah. May Allah reward Darussalam, the organizers, the, the people in charge, Mufti Adimuddin and Mufti Minhaj and their father and everybody. All the teachers, all the students, may Allah reward all of you as well for taking out your time, all the brothers and sisters and all the people who've worked behind this annual retreat. The introduction that was just given for me, that was a talk on its own, 15-20 minutes. I can now understand you like detail, mashallah. Um, I'm just a student of knowledge. But one thing I would say, yes, my father, who he was talking about, he mentioned that when he heard his talk in 94, did you say? 92, and this was a very strong bayan he heard on seerah. I am the opposite in the way I speak. My father has a very strong voice, very like Jalali, very uh, powerful in his talks. I am completely the opposite. I have a very soft voice. This is, the, the mic is already weak and I'm already weak myself, so I hope you can understand me, inshallah ta'ala. The topic is very, very important. Uh, keeping pacts, treaties, inshallah. I want to talk about some very, very important issues in light of the seerah of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and in light of the practice of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een. One of the greatest aspects of our deen, one of the most important teachings of our deen, is the teaching of fulfilling promises, keeping promises, keeping covenants, fulfilling covenants and agreements. In Arabic, we call it wa'ad. Urdu, you say wa'ada. In Arabic, wa'ad or ahad. Numerous texts of the Quran and Sunnah talk about the importance of fulfilling covenants. Our deen, you see, is not just about praying. Sometimes what happens, we think that deen is just about praying, just about fasting, just about zakat and hajj and charity and that's it. Islam is a comprehensive way of life. There are teachings in every aspect of our life. From how we deal how we make money, how we transact, how we deal with other people, mu'amalat, mu'ashara, ibadat, all of this. 
So one very important aspect of our deen is to fulfill covenants and uhud and fulfilling wa'd. The Quran and Sunnah is filled. I'll give you some examples and then I want to talk about some practical, practical examples of how in our lives we do not or we may be fulfilling promises. Some things we don't even think, we don't even realize. Sometimes we do not even realize that we are actually breaking promises, we are not fulfilling promises. The Quran says, Ya ladina amanu awfu bil Numerous texts of the Quran and Sunnah. O you who believe, fulfill promises, covenants. The famous hadith of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi in Sahih al-Bukhari and elsewhere, it's a very famous hadith. Ayatul munafiqi thalath. The sign of a hypocrite of three. Munafiq. What does a munafiq mean? A hypocrite. Someone who internally has something else, externally something else. It's like schizophrenia. It's like two, two sides of a person. Ayatul munafiqi thalathun. Number one, إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذِبٌ when he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he breaks that promise. When he is given something as a, as a trust, he breaches that trust. In another riwayah, the Messenger وسلم, said, Three things if you find in someone, he is a pure hypocrite. He is a pure munafiq. May Allah protect us all. And he mentioned these three things. When he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he breaks the promise. When he's given a trust, he breaches that trust. He does not fulfill the amana and the trust. This is a sign of a hypocrite. This hadith shows the importance of fulfilling promises. And there's numerous texts of the Quran and Sunnah on fulfilling promises. There's another riwayah where the Messenger وسلم, actually said, Al-wa'du kar-riq. Al-wa'du kar-riq. A promise is like slavehood. When you make a promise to someone, you've actually become their slaves. You're indebted to them to fulfill that promise. If you say to someone, I'll give you this tomorrow, I'll meet you at this time, you are now bound by that promise. You're like a slave to that person in terms of fulfilling that promise. So there's a lot of emphasis. And when we look at the seerah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Shaykh was mentioning the seerah, talk on seerah, which my father gave. The seerah of the Messenger sallallahu again, when we talk about sunnah, when we talk about sunnah, sometimes we think about certain external sunnah. When we say, act upon sunnah, straight away in our mind goes to, maybe externally, maybe wearing a hat, growing a beard, thobe, this is sunnah. This is important, of course, we're not undermining, undermining that. Or maybe, uh, acting upon sunnah, when I enter the masjid, Enter with the right foot. Allahumma ftahli ababa rahmatik. When I exit, with the left foot. Allahumma inya salukum in fadlik. This dua, eat with your right hand, eat with three fingers. These are all part of sunnah, without doubt. But sometimes we restrict our understanding of sunnah to just these external acts. Sunnah is also, when we look at, and these are not just sunnah, these are, this is wajib. The sunnah, Life of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. How was he in terms of fulfilling promises? Even before he was given prophethood, the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, even before he was given prophethood, before Allah subhanahu wa taala made him a prophet, before bi'tha, because all the prophets, even when their childhood, even when they were young, even before becoming prophets, Allah subhanahu wa taala cleansed them, and the way they acted was in a way that befitted a prophet. This is why all the prophets are ma'asum 
They are infallible, free from sins before prophethood and after prophethood. So the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, what was his title? He was known as As-Sadiq Al-Amin. He was known as As-Sadiq, someone who is truthful, who is trustworthy. There's one incident mentioned in the seerah of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam that there was one companion. He said, before the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam was given prophethood, I once promised him something. I bought something from him and I made a promise that tomorrow at this time, at this place, I'll meet you. I'll give you the money. He said, I forgot. When the time came, I f- it completely slipped my mind that I had to go and meet him. After three days, I suddenly realized, oh, I promised Muhammad wasallam. He wasn't even a prophet at that time. That I promised him that I'll meet him at this time and give him the money. When I went there after three days, he was standing there and waiting for me. The Messenger wasallam expected him to be there because he would do the same. He waited for me there for three days. When I came, he smiled and he said, you put me in difficulty. And he said, I'm really sorry. I actually forgot that I, I promised you and it completely slipped my mind. So the Messenger wasallam in his seerah, the way he acted before prophethood and even after prophethood. You know the famous story where many of you know, some of the mushrikeen, they went to, uh, they were traveling. When, when the Messenger wasallam wrote letters of invitation, one of the letters was written to Hercules. Hiraql, his name is in the hadith of Bukhari, etc. So when this invitation came, some mushrikeen from Mecca had come for trade. Abu Sufyan, radiallahu anhu, he became a Muslim afterwards, but he wasn't a Muslim. Abu Sufyan was there. So Hercules thought, let me ask some of these people who come from the same area where this person is writing me a letter, inviting me to Islam, claiming to be a prophet. Let me ask him a few questions. He asked, it, he asked him a list of questions. One of the questions was, what does he invite people to? What's his message? Abu Sufyan and his group, what did Hercules ask? What's his message? Give me a summary of what this person, Muhammad, is inviting towards. Abu Sufyan said, well, I know four or five main things. He is claimed to be a prophet, and the basic main teachings that he is calling and inviting people to, salah, fasting, saying the truth, and fulfilling promises. This is what he's inviting towards. In other words, even non-Muslims in the time of the Messenger wasallam knew that what is Islam about? It's about truth and it's about fulfilling promises along with salah and fasting. Islam is, what is Islam? Islam, oh the Muslims. Oh Muslims are the ones who pray, who fast, who never break promises and who never speak a lie. Today, who are Muslims? Oh the Muslims, oh those who cheat the system and break the laws and they, they just park their cars however they want or... That's what some people, some places may say. In that time, the Messenger wasallam's time, who are the Muslims? Even the enemies, the non-Muslims would say, Muslims are the ones who actually pray, fast, are truthful, and fulfill the promises. This was known in the time of the Messenger wasallam. The Messenger wasallam, the way he lived, the way he, in his seerah, the way he fulfilled promises, there's another couple, I'll mention a couple of incidents and then I'll get to some practical points. In the time of Badr, the Battle of Badr, everyone knows the importance of Battle of Badr. This was in the second year Hijri. The Battle of Badr is a massive event in the history of Islam and the Muslims. 
the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam this this is like called al-furqan the criterion between muslims and non-muslims a massive battle that took place the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions were only about 313 the enemies were around 1000 that's like less than one third every individual matters muslims had just two horses and a few camels and and just a few things the non-muslims had a large enemy every person every individual mattered and this is a battle which is so blessed that in the battle whoever attended or took part in this battle from the sahaba radiallahu anhum they were all forgiven by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the muslims the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the sahaba radiallahu anhum had left to the to badr from mecca hudayfa bin al-yaman radiallahu anhu and his father who is yaman this is a great companion he was actually known as sahibu sirri rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam the one who kept the secrets of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam these two they actually left they wanted to embrace Islam. they actually embraced islam and they were coming to meet the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in medina when they were leaving on the way they met abu jahl and his army who actually had left to come to fight the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the muslims when they met they met these two on the way where are you going we are actually going to visit muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam why are you going? You're going to join in his army and fight against us. He says, no, we just, we're just going to meet him. Just visit him. That's it. There's no intention to fight. They said, no, you're going to join the army. We won't let you go. They said, please let us, you know, leave us. Let us free. Abu Jahl and his army, uh, he said to them, I'll set you free on one condition. You promise me that when you go there, you will not fight against us. And remember, just imagine the non-Muslims. They actually believe this. This was normal. Even a non-Muslim would believe a Muslim, a Muslim would believe a non-Muslim. When they speak, they say the truth, they stick by the words. Promise us that if you go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you will not join the army and fight against us. They said, we promise you, please set us free. Abu Jahl set them free. They came to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the sahaba had already left to go to Badr. They mentioned the whole incident that we left, but we really would like to join and be part of this auspicious uh, battle that is taking place and the muslims needed one 313 would have become 315 two people matters the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam said did you promise they said yes we promised he said muslims don't break their promise you can't join the army even though they, they said oh messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam this was a promise that was done under sword we were forced like today, we would make 101 different types of excuses. This was, it was, well, these are non-Muslims, you know, they're going to fight you. If you're fighting the non-Muslims, everything's halal, you can kill them. Who cares about a promise? Oh, it was forceful. It was under, under duress. There was a force. We weren't really happy. We were just trying to save our lives. 101 excuses. The Messenger wasallam said, no. A Muslim promises he never goes against his promise, even if it's against your own enemy. Not just non-Muslims, enemies who are fighting you. With this, the Messenger wasallam actually did two things. One was, with, with this, he trained the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, the companions. He put it into their minds and their hearts. He instilled into the Sahaba companions 
that this is how a Muslim should live. A Muslim, no matter what, will never break his promise. A Muslim, no matter what, will never break his promise. On one hand, the Messenger wasallam trained the companions, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. On the other hand, he let the non-Muslims know. He let the non-Muslims know that Muslims are such that they even in a war, even in a battle, they will never ever break the promise. Muslims will never break the promise. And he never left the non-Muslims to make any propaganda that Muslims, they, they make promises and then they break the promises and, and spread rumors about Islam and the Muslims. So two things the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did. Imagine, would, I mean, in, you, you don't find examples like this in history where in such scenarios, in such a case, somebody would keep and fulfill their covenant and their promise. Another incident, Battle of Hudaybiyah. This was three, four years after. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Sahaba, they went to Mecca to perform Umrah. The Mushrikeen, they didn't let them enter Mecca. We can't allow you to come in. We all, we've only come to perform Umrah. We don't want to fight or anything. No. So the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they signed a treaty, a peace treaty with the Mushrikeen of Mecca. The conditions were so strict, so stringent. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam accepted the conditions. One of, one of the conditions was that if anybody from us leaves and comes to you and becomes Muslim, then you need to send him back to us to Mecca. And if a Muslim leaves Islam, apostates, and comes to Mecca uh, from Medina, then we don't have to send him back. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam accepted that as well. This was a discussion going on. Whilst this discussion was going on, no signing yet. The treaty, they hadn't signed yet. They were discussing, they accepted it verbally. As, as this conversation was going on, this person called Abu Jandal, came slowly walking he, he was tied his hands were tied and his feet were tied he couldn't even walk he walked actually from uh, from uh, he walked all the way to Hudaybiyah from Medina to Hudaybiyah which is like about 25 30 kilometers like that just slowly walking he came walking he said O oh, Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, I became a Muslim. I've been tortured by, by my own father. His father was the one who was actually signing and writing the treaty with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I've been tied up in my house. For months I've been oppressed. I've heard that the Muslims and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has come. I've walked all this way. I, please set me free. I want to join you and I want to go back to Medina with you. I don't want to be oppressed here just because I accepted Islam. So the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam looked at him, Sahaba, they had pity on him. So they, when he came, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to the Mushrikeen, they said, this one person, just set him free, let him come with us. Just one person. They said, no, if you do that, this is your first example of treachery. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, look, we haven't even signed the treaty yet. We're just talking about it, we verbally agreed, but it's not signed, dusted and sealed and approved. They said, no, if you do that, then that's it. No more, no, no treaty. So the Messenger sallallahu looked at him and said, you know, just make sabr, inshallah, Allah will find a way. There's a long story, and then Allah did find a way. But in this case, we will not break a promise. In this instance, the Messenger sallallahu did not tolerate. So, 
there's many, many examples of fulfilling promises. To find such examples are very, very difficult in any community. Would you, you know, if you, if you study history, if you study, finding examples like this are only in the seerah of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, or his companions, who he made tarbiyah of. These companions, sahaba radiallahu anhum, they learned how to fulfill promises in the guidance, under the guidance of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wasallam. Numerous other examples, but... I'll give you one more example and then I'll talk about some practical points. The, there's another example. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu when he conquered Al-Bayt uh, al-Maqdis. People should go. You should visit Bayt al-Maqdis. I'm sure people do go from here. From in England, we have groups and groups of people going to Palestine, Al Quds. I was there. I went in February. Mashallah, it's an amazing place. We should go. It's a third Haram, Mecca, Medina, and Beit Al Maqdis. We have, we have, Mashallah, we travel a lot of parts, many places in the world. It's very easy. You can go. No problem. People living in the West can easily go. In England, there's every month a group is going. So many people go to, to Masjid Al-Aqsa, to Bayt Al-Maqdis. You should try to, inshallah, if you haven't been, it's a must place, Mecca and Medina, and it's the third Haram. This place, Jerusalem, known as Bayt Al-Maqdis or Al-Quds, it's a whole Al-Aqsa sanctuary where Sayyidina Umar ibn Al-Khattab radiallahu anhu conquered it, but Sulhan, it was a conquest without any bloodshed. It was peacefully conquered. When the Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu conquered it, the Christians and the Jews that were living there, he said, we'll give you protection. The Jews and the Christians are free to live here. They are free to worship as they want. They are free to keep their places of worship. And we, the Muslims, our army will protect you. In return, you have to pay a small tax, which is called jizya, which was a small amount. We will protect you. We will safeguard your wealth. We will safeguard your life. We will safeguard your dignity. And you don't have to even fight with the Muslims. If an enemy attacks you, we will preserve and protect you. And you don't have to even do military service. There's no need. So anyway, there were really preserved and protected. There was a time after a while that the Muslims in Damascus, we just talked about Damascus, we were, the Shaykh was talking about that I studied there, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect the place, bring back, back peace there and tranquility, many, many years of, and the two brothers, I think, I don't know where they are, who just recited the nasheed, they met, I met one of them earlier on today, it was mentioned that his father was a very big scholar. Actually, he's my teacher, Sheikh Mustafa Al-Khin. He's passed away now, rahimahullah. He used to, know, he used to be known the Alamatul Usul, the great scholar of Usul al-Fiqh uh, in Damascus. And he used to come once a week in Al-Fatha al-Islami, where I used to study in 2001, 2002. I normally say Syria. 
I was there in 2001, uh, 2002, 2003, not recently. I haven't been to Syria re recently. So anyone listening? I haven't been to Syria, Syria. Because now, you've been to, if someone's been to Syria, this was a long time ago, 15 years ago. So Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu was in Damascus. They needed an army. He used to, uh, he, there, there was a, uh, for a reason, they needed an army because there was a battle taking place with some, someone. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, most of the Muslim, the armies, they were all in Baytul Maqdis. He sent a message to Baytul Maqdis that there's a need for the army to be sent. And he wrote to the governor of Baytul Maqdis that gather all the Christians and the Jews and tell them, we promised you that we will protect you. Your life, your wealth, your families, your properties, your dignity will be all be protected. But due to an ex extreme reason and excuse and genuine need, we will have to move the army, many of them, and they have to go to Damascus. But because we are having to do this, all the taxes for the past year that we've taken from you, everything will be returned back to you because you will have to look after your own selves and protect your own selves. And gave all the jizya back. There's another incident, Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, one of the khalifas of, the Islam, of Islam and the Muslims. He used to be in constant battle with the Ro Romans, who were the superpower of the time. There was a time when he did a treaty with them. That until this day, this is a peace treaty, there'll be no war taking place between us and you. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, what he did was... He thought, he said, there was the date when the treaty ends, what we'll do, we'll prepare. He prepared all the Muslims, the armies were prepared, and before a day before all preparations were made, the army was shifted and moved to the border of the Romans. As soon as the sun set, they went and they attacked and they conquered land after land after land after land. Majority of their territory was conquered. In that midst, imagine, in the midst of conquest, of success, Muawiyah radiallahu anhu is on the horse and moving forward and moving forward. He heard somebody from the back saying, Qifu ya ibadallah, qifu, qifu. Wait, 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 O servants of Allah, where are you rushing? Wait. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu stopped and looked back. He thought maybe some instruction has come from the Amir al-Mu'mineen. So he said, what's, what's wrong? Who is it? It was another sahabi, companion radiallahu anhu, Amr bin Abasa. Amr bin Abasa, he said, yes, what is it, Amr bin Abasa? He said, wafa'un la ghadar, wafa'un la ghadar. Muslims, they fulfill promises. They don't break promises. They don't commit treachery. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu said, why? Well, we've not committed any treachery. We've not broken any promise. The treaty was till today and Maghrib is done. So we didn't break any promises. He said, no, I heard the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Man kana baynahu wa bayna qawmin ahdun. Whoever has a treaty between him and his, another group, فَلَا يَحُلَّنَّهُ وَلَا يَشُدُّنَّهُ Don't even open that treaty. Don't do anything about it. Don't even prepare for it. I heard this hadith with my own ears from the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Muawiyah radiallahu anhu said, he said, did you hear it directly from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa He said, yes, I heard this from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa He said, okay, everybody, retreat. Three quarters of the land territory conquered, give it back. The whole army, let's go back and left the territory. And then afterwards, the next day, they went back in. Imagine, would anybody do this in this day and age? Conquered Because the objective for them was not land The objective for them was not conquest It wasn't that we want to gain territory It was to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And if that means this is the ruling of sharia Then this is the ruling of sharia So there are numerous examples of uh, conquest uh, Of fulfilling promises There's many many examples But I will leave them Because time is late as well And I'm actually f- feeling a bit tired as well So this, this is the tarbiyah that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now let's look at this. This is practical. In light of our, our lives. We are Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us Muslims. We don't want to be munafiq. We don't want to be people of nifaq. We do not want to be people of hypocrisy. Let's look at our lives. How much are we practicing this amazing and important aspect of our religion the first promise that a muslim makes is with his lord when we say the shahada ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh this is not some like you know just some poetry that we're reading or some kind of few words we just read it and that's it it means something what does it mean We've promised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are testifying that we will fulfill the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First promise is with Allah. Every day, regularly in our prayers, what do we do? We repeat, Oh Allah, it is only you we worship. It is only you from whom we seek help. We're promising Allah. We're telling Him. Do we worship only Allah? Or do we worship something else as well? Do we only seek help from Allah? How... How do we live our lives? Imagine, it's sinful to break promises that are carried out with human beings. This is a promise with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Other than that, promises with human beings. Let's look at our lives. Promises with human beings. Sometimes a promise is not verbal, but it's, practi- it's, a, it's, it's a tacit it's a tacit promise. Do you understand what that means? A tacit promise. We don't verbally we make a promise, but it's a, it's a promise by amal, by, in a tacit way. Like for example, living in a neighborhood, you live with people around you, it's an understood promise. We understand that by living, we will fulfill the rights of each other. We will not harm one another. We will not disturb our neighbors. If you break that promise, even though we don't have to go and tell the neighbors that we have, okay, you don't disturb us and I won't disturb you or you don't cause harm to me and I won't cause harm to you. No, it's an understood tacit wa'ad. And from this same category is the promise, is the promise that is made by living in a country. Any country we live in. If you're living in an Islamic system, then the rule is that Allah says, Ya Allah, Oh, you who believe, 
Obey Allah, obey his messenger and the ulul amr, the hakim. It's actually a sam'u wa ta'a. There's so many hadith that talk about obeying the hakim because he's a Muslim ruler. So that's because of that. But if it's not a proper Islamic hakim, then living anywhere, Muslim country, non-Muslim country, this is a tacit promise. When we take a visa, when we visit any country, visa is a promise. When I enter your country, stamp, I will abide by the laws of this country. And if you live, citizenship itself is a tacit promise. And this is why Islamically it's an absolute obligation for a citizen of any country to obey the law of the land and abide by the laws of that country. And not doing so is not actually just bad or blameworthy. It's actually a major sin. It's haram, it's sinful, and this is agreed upon by all the scholars. Any law, as long as it's not breaking the law of Islam, there is no obedience to, Allah, uh, to the creation which results in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any law, like for example, the laws of driving and traffic. If the law says you have to drive on this side, you're driving on that side, we're committing a sin. We are, we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we are speeding, we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we're parking illegally, we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Islam is not just about praying. And it's not just about wearing a thawb or keeping a beard and wearing an amama or a hat. This is also Islam. Sometimes we think we are favoring Islam. We are going to, this happened in the UK. People come here, mashallah, you've got so much space, alhamdulillah. I was telling Mufti Alimuddin that, mashallah, you know, I love this place, space, you know, parking. In England, we're just like a small, you know, the whole of UK is probably smaller than one of your states. So, there's parking problems, but people come for Jumu'ah Salah, they park as they wish, where they want, in any corner, causing chaos, anarchy, disturbance, and Ramadan, it gets worse in Ramadan. Absolutely worse. Disturbing the neighbors, that some of them are non-Muslim, not everybody's a Muslim. They, they haven't all woken up to, fa uh, to fast for suhoor. We come for Tarawih Salah, we are there till 11, 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the masjid. Not everybody's a Muslim. It's an obligation. We are not doing a favor on Allah. When some of them, they, they think, well, we've come for Salah, Jumu'ah Salah, we can park anywhere. There was a Muslim brother who was actually, uh, we call, it, call them traffic wardens, I don't know what you call them here, who give people tickets for parking illegally. He once asked me, because what he did was he, Jumu'ah time, his job, he had a shift at that time, Jumu'ah time, then he would pray Jumu'ah in another Jumu'ah Salah. So outside Masajid, that was his location. And Muslims would come and park their cars in corners and however, and he's giving them tickets. All the Muslims were raging. Astaghfirullah, you're a Muslim, and we, we are not coming here to drink alcohol, we've come to pray salah. So he asked me a question that is it sinful, is it bad, or is it haram for me to you know give tickets to Muslims? I said, No, give them two tickets. <laughs> Forget one ticket, give them two tickets. We're not doing favor on Allah. If you, it doesn't mean if we come for salah, we can park anywhere how we want. It's an obligation. If you can't find parking, go walk to the masjid or park somewhere far and then walk from there or do something. But it's, we are not favoring Allah for praying salah that we can park in any way, shape that we, and form that we want. We have to abide by the laws of... And this is not just about fulfilling a promise... This is not just about abiding by the law of the country. This is also about 
convenience and inconvenience, inconveniencing others, causing harm to others is actually another sin. So we actually are guilty of two sins. One is breaking the law of the land, breaking a promise. As I was saying, this is a tacit promise. And then harming people, inconveniencing other people, Muslims or non-Muslims. Inconveniencing Muslims or non-Muslims. Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, peace be upon him, you know the story with the Coptic. He punched a Coptic and the Coptic Qibti died. His intention wasn't to kill him. He was helping him. He was, uh, you know, from Banu Israel, who was having uh, somebody, he was helping the person from Banu Israel who were being oppressed by the Coptics. So, Pharaoh's people. Musa, alayhi salam, called this a dhamb in the Quran. He said, Lahum alayya dhambun. I've committed a sin. I've committed a sin even if he was a non-Muslim because he's, he understood that you can't even punch a non-Muslim. This is a sinful act. So some of, some of the times this promise is, as I, as I was saying, it's a tacit promise. I mentioned first type of promise, promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we have a tacit promise which is by way of citizenship, living in a country. It's an absolute obligation. And we're not saying this just because we're trying to appease anybody that, yeah, you know, we live in a time where we try, and, we try to make people happy, you know, because to be politically correct or incorrect. This is nothing to do with being politically correct or incorrect. This, regardless of the situation, these are the teachings of our deen and these are the teachings of Islam. That a Muslim never breaks the promise. Law of the land, I have a whole article written somewhere online where I've explained in detail with many other evidences that it's actually an absolute obligation. It's a fard for a Muslim to obey the law of the country that he or she is living in. And then, promises, there's another thing. And I'll explain this and I'll try, I'll try to end because I think I've lost a lot of energy. I don't know what's happened. I had a nine-hour flight and then... It's a six-hour time zone difference. I did sleep, alhamdulillah, but I think I'm feeling it right now. Um, there are two types. When people promise, there's two types of promises. Sometimes we make a promise and we have the intention. We have the intention to fulfill the promise. Yes? We have an intention that inshallah, I'll fulfill this promise. But then what happens? We don't fulfill the promise. Now when we don't fulfill the promise, sometimes it's due to an excuse, a genuine valid excuse. If it's due to a genuine valid excuse, then there is no sin. Like for example, you promise somebody that I'll give you money next week, I'll help you out, I'll give you a loan. When that next week came, you genuinely didn't have the money or you needed it for something else. Just tell the person, I know I promised you, please forgive me, sorry, I can't fulfill the promise, and there's no sin. Or for example, engagements, you know engagement, that's a promise. Engagement for marriage. You gave your word somewhere, they gave your word, they gave their word, your son is engaged to marry daughter of such and such. This is a mutual agreement, covenant promise. You want to Go against the promise now. You want to break a promise. If there's a genuine excuse, if there's a genuine other, like for example, you found out certain things that you didn't know beforehand, 
or things have changed or something's happened or you, you're not comfortable, then fine, there is no sin. You just tell them, sorry, we can't keep this promise because there's a genuine excuse. You told someone, you will attend a walima. Inshallah, I will definitely come. But then something came up. You couldn't go because there was an emergency. There is no sin. But if there, was no, there is no excuse and you break a promise, then that is a sin. It's a sinful act to make a promise. You had the intention. You wanted to fulfill the promise. At the time of making the promise, you had an intention that inshallah I will fulfill this promise. But when the time came, you just felt lazy or you just didn't feel like it without no excuse, no other, no valid excuse. You broke the promise. This is sinful. The second situation or the third situation, which is worse, and this is really bad. Sometimes we make promises and at the time of making a promise, we have an intention that this promise is not to be fulfilled. This is known as the worst type of hypocrisy. One of the greatest sins in Islam. A major sin. This is, this is like a'la darja of nifaq, like the highest level of hypocrisy. At the time of making promise, you know for a fact that you're not going to fulfill this promise. And we just make the promise. If you can't do it, don't make a promise. Don't make a promise. At the time of promising, we have an intention that I'm not going to fulfill this promise. You might think, who does that? Well, many people do that in many cases. I'll give you a couple of examples. Some examples you might think, yeah, oh, this. You see, this is an issue that sometimes we don't even realize. We don't even realize that a sin is being committed. When someone doesn't offer salah, they realize they're committing a sin. But here, we don't even realize. There's so many types. I'm just giving you just a few random examples. You know, you have a walima, and there's an invitation. You send out walima cards. Dinner will be served at 6 p.m. Dinner will be served at 6 p.m. You know for a fact, dinner will not be served at 6 p.m. Not 7 p.m., not at 8 p.m., not at 9 p.m., maybe 10 p.m. Yes? At the time of writing, you've made an intent. This is a major haram activity, brothers and sisters. This is, I know we're laughing, but this is haram, min al-kaba'ir. Everyone does it? Who, if everyone's drinking alcohol, why should I drink alcohol? This is a promise that you made a promise. And then the thing is, people know it's not going to start at this time. If someone thinks that you know, there's someone who's a good person who fulfills promises and expects, like the Messenger wasallam, he waited for three days because he fulfills promises. So he thought that everybody else will fulfill promise as well. So if somebody's like that, ends up at 6 o'clock, he'll be waiting until 4 hours, till 10 o'clock, just wasting his time. So there's wastage of time, there's inconveniencing people because this person's waste four hours, you've inconvenienced somebody who came at six o'clock. There might be one person who might show up at six o'clock. He's waited till 9 p.m. So you've harmed this person, you've broken the promise, you made a promise without the intention of fulfilling it. And then people are wasting time, which is also a bad thing. And then late night festival ceremony, and then lots of people will not perform their Fajr Salah. And this is what we call the Sunnah of Walima. With hundreds of ills in it. This is an example. 
of making an intention. At the time of promising, we actually know for a fact that we will not fulfill this promise. At the time of making the intention, at the time of making the promise, there is an intention not, not, not fulfilling the promise. Sometimes another way of this is that we just make a promise just to play, play, some, play down. This is also even, this is even more common. Someone says, come inshallah, please visit me. Inshallah, definitely, zarur, inshallah, inshallah, I'll come. You know, if you say inshallah, maybe you might get away with it because you've said inshallah if Allah wills. But in our understanding, inshallah is like, yes, definite. You make a promise. You don't really want to go to the house. Someone says, okay, please come to my house or something. Yes, definitely. Because you feel bad saying no. This is another problem. Because we are not clear in our dealings. We feel bad. We, we don't feel bad about breaking promises. And then afterwards it might result in enmity and uh, fights and quarrels. We can't say no. Islam says like for example, transactions. Live like brothers and sisters, but transact like strangers. Even at the house, between father, son, brother, sister, transactions should be clear. Sometimes we tell people, look, clear your transactions. A brother's taking a loan from another brother, $100, write it down. He took 100 pounds from his brother, pay on this time. Oh, this is in the family, brothers, you know, how can we like, you know, it doesn't, it's not nice, you know. But then after 20 years, when there's a battle between the brothers, then we realize, Islam says, be clear, there's no, don't be ashamed. When someone comes to your house, you don't want to see that person. No problem. If someone visits someone's house, someone visits someone that, uh, and you don't want to entertain that person, no problem. The Quran says, if the person host says, sorry, I'm busy right now, first of all, we should inform them that we're visiting. Phone them beforehand and make an agreement. And then this is a promise that you should fulfill. But what happens that people are not clear. That's one of the, ex- one of the qualities of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum was that they had saraha. What was in their heart was here. There was nothing. There was no double standards. They were very simple, clean people. Nobody took anything bad. You went to somebody's house. I would love, I would love you to come, but I can't entertain you right now. I'm really busy. Oh, no problem. Nobody, nobody takes offense. It's, it's simple. Life is simple. But what we can't say, no. So what do we do? We have to lie. We go upstairs. We are sleeping in the bed. You tell your son, go and tell, you know, daddy's not at home. He'll open the door. Asalaamu Alaikum. My daddy upstairs, he just told me to tell you he's not at home. <laughs> My daddy's at home. And then the son, lie, uh, the son learns how to lie. And realizes that my elders, my parents lie as well. Lying is not a big deal. Lying is, it's okay, you can lie. We break promises in front of our children, they'll think breaking promises is not a problem. Because we can't be open. We should be frank and open and clear. So this, sometimes when someone tells us something, we make a promise just because we can't say no. We actually make the promise. We know we will not fulfill the promise. Come to visit me in California. You know, there's a wedding or something. You know, you're not going to California for the next two years. Definitely, brother, I'll come. Definitely. Just to make him happy. But there's no intention. At the time of making the promise, the intention is not to fulfill the promise. And this is one of the greatest sins a Muslim can commit. Inshallah, I'm going to end with this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
make us of those people who fulfill promises. I mean, there's so many examples in our day-to-day -day life. 